Before we get started with the message, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much this morning that we have an opportunity to jump into your word, to continue in our study in Revelation. Lord, I pray that everything we get into is done with clarity. I pray that it's done by your presence and by your spirit. That I would be led by you, not just in having written this and, and, and preparing to, to, to preach it, but even now, Lord, lead me in your direction. Let my words be yours. Let my thoughts be yours. Let us have our eyes set upon you this morning as we continue in your word. We thank you for it. We ask that it stays with us, that it connects with us, that it moves us into deeper relationship with you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many remember last week's message? Last week was, a, was not quite a Thanksgiving message. It was a tough message. It was a message that was braced up by mercy. Amen? At the end of the message, you saw all, this, all of this destruction. One-third of everything is destroyed, right? One-third of humanity is destroyed. But we remember that God holds his hand back. Because he wants to try to give humanity as long as possible to come to repentance. Amen? That's the goodness of God. That's the mercy of God. So right now we are just getting into the 10th chapter of Revelation. So, so far in our study, there have been uh, some confusing ideas and images. Moving forward, I want to say this, it becomes Virtually, it's all confusing images. And so we're going to break those things down. And listen, the truth is this. Much of the images have been discussed throughout history. They've been debated throughout history. There's been discussions and debates and arguments. And we're not going to debate those things. We're not going to argue about those things. For some images, we have a solid understanding of what it is. But for some, there is simply no way to make it clear. Now, for me, that makes the prospect of preaching Revelation both challenging and terrifying. Because how many know we like to have answers? We like to know what's going on, right? It gives me some comfort to know that I am in the good company of millions of pastors who don't have all the answers. Amen? I am, I am in good company. It gives me even greater comfort to know that it's not my job to understand all things. Amen? Somebody say amen. That's a good one. It's not my job to understand all things, right, honey? Do I think I do understand all things? No, I don't. I won't admit it sometimes, but I don't. Listen, it gives me comfort to know this as well. God didn't even allow the Apostle John, to share or help us understand every mystery. Throughout Revelation, God shows John amazing things. And there's sometimes where he's not even allowed to share what he saw. It brings us to chapter 10, and we're going to get into verse 1, and we're going to go through verse uh, wow, it's a lot, 7. So stick with me, but here we go. I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven clothed with a cloud, 
and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. Go to the next slide. It says, he had a little book open in his hand, and he had set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a, thunder, as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now, when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, listen to this, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them. Verse 5, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, the sea and the things that are in it, and there shall be delay no longer. Verse 7, but in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Now, John sees a mighty angel with a little book. This is kind of an interesting thing to think about. This angel is given authority over the seas and the land. He sets one foot in one and one foot in the other. So it seems like he is given an authority over this massive region that would include the world, the earth. As he does, he, he puts one foot in the sea, one foot in the land, and he cries out with a loud voice. It says, like a roar of a lion. And as he does, John hears the sound of thunder. How many ever hear the rumble of thunder? I like the rumble of thunder. I, I love one of my favorite times of the year is like when there's like a summer storm. How many like summer storms? I do. I like to hear the thunder roll in and, and you see the storm come and then very quickly it dissipates and moves away. That's a summer storm. It comes in and leaves right away. In fact, John hears not just the rumble of thunder, but he hears the rumble of seven thunders. What did they say? We have no idea. We have no idea. What did they say? John knew what they said. He was about to write them down, but the direction he is given is to not write them down because it is not time for us to know. It's not time for us to know. There are some people that think they need to tell you everything God told them. Everything God told them. I got a word for you, brother. This is what the Lord told me. Sometimes you need to keep it to yourself. Amen? Come on. That's not for everybody. That's just for you. I remember being in college. I remember the Lord uh, speaking words to me, and I remember you know, after college and being with people and I just felt like every word the Lord shared with me, I had to share with everybody else. Boy, you wouldn't believe what the Lord told me today. Well, all right, good for you. Keep it to yourself. Or people that would come up to me all the time. Pastor, I got a word for you. I got a word for you. I got, Lord gave me a word. Now, here's something you have to be very careful of. I'm not saying that people don't have words for, you know, words from the Lord for people. But we want to be careful who we're accepting words from. We want to be, I mean, this is just some practical Christian wisdom. We want to be careful who we're accepting words from. Do we trust the source? The very best thing I've found is to say this. Whether it doesn't matter who it is. Oh, you have a word from the Lord. That's fantastic. Do me a favor. Write it down. Write it down. Give it to me. 
I'll take it later on. I'll read it. And if it applies to me, that's great. And if it doesn't, chuck it. That's what I do. And people go, well, I can't take the time to write it down. Is it really a word from the Lord then? Be careful about who you let speak into your life. Be careful about who you allow to give you a word from the Lord. Because a lot of times it's not a word from the Lord, it's just a word from them. And they use the Lord to manipulate people. John is given, John is, is sees and hears what the angels are about to say. And the Lord says, whoa, whoa, whoa don't write that down. We, there's a whole industry right now geared towards heaven tourism. Do you know what that is? Heaven tourism, hell tourism. Uh, how many ever read those books where like a kid dies, goes to heaven, comes back? Right? That's heaven tourism. Kid dies, goes to heaven, comes back. I met my sister. I met my grandpa. I met my great-grandpa. I did this, 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 and this. And they share everything that they saw. And then years later, they tell everybody, oh, that was a lie. It sold a lot of books. And Christians grab a hold of that because they want to see what is heaven going to be like. Christians just, I mean, run to it. Bestsellers. The child who saw heaven, oh, my goodness. And so they tell them all these things. John isn't even allowed to share all those things. Why in the world are we thinking other people are allowed to share what John's not allowed to share? We want to, listen, I, I don't know uh, about you, but the way that I see it is this. Humanity has a thirst for knowledge, right? Humanity wants to know what's going on. All the time, we want to know what's going on. We search for answers far and wide, and we search for answers to every question, right? We do it all the time. God gives us the answer to so many of our questions, right? But here, all we can do is trust him. All we can do is trust him. All we can do is have faith, right? There are so many times in our life, how many know, where we just simply don't have answers. We don't have answers to tragedy. We don't have easy answers to tragedy. We don't have answers to people that involve death and, and, and heartache. And what, What's the answer? What's the, what's the answer? We want to know what is the answer to every question. And God says, in this, you don't need to know the answer. All you need to do is trust me. And there's so many times in our lives where we just don't know the answer. God, why isn't this happening for me? God, why did you move me in this way? God, why am I living here? God, what is my purpose? And the heavens are silent. And all it requires is trust. John here hears what the thunders are saying, but doesn't reveal it to us. When God is simply asking us this, will you trust me? Right? Will you put your faith in me knowing that I work all things for good? You may not understand it right now. You may not have the answers right now, but will you trust me? That's what God does. We see this mighty angel. He has this little book. 
And clearly there's a message right there. There is a message in the book, but here's where it gets a little weird. Say a little weird. And in case you haven't noticed, Revelation gets a little weird. This is where it gets a little weird. It says in verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. And I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it. And it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Verse 10, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter, verse 11. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. The direction John has is to take this little book and eat it. Sounds a little weird, right? Sounds a little strange. Has anybody ever here ever eat paper? Anybody? Come on, I can't be the only one. How many ever eat paper? You take a piece of paper. How many ever eat dog food? You never looked at a piece of dog food and went, you never tried it? Yeah? How many? Okay, doll, I know you had to eat dog food. Come on. No, never? Okay. I don't want to pick anyone. What does the word say? We don't know. What does the little book say? We don't know. We aren't sure. But it is God's word, and as John eats it, it's very sweet. It tastes like honey on his lips, right? But then how many ever eat something sweet, and then when you swallow it, your stomach begins to rumble? How many ever been to the fair? Come on. I was at the fair, and I, I, uh, I was telling this to Doug the other day. Uh, I think I ate a pork tenderloin sandwich. Yeah, mm. People love those, right? Around here, people love them. I've never been able to eat a, to keep a pork tenderloin sandwich down. It tastes great. Yeah. It tastes great going down. Doesn't taste so great the second time. <laughs> I knew it. Okay, but here's the thing. It tastes sweet, right? You eat too much cotton candy. You eat a lot of cotton candy. A lot of cotton, it tastes sweet in your mouth. You, you get it in your stomach, and all of a sudden, your stomach begins to rumble, right? John eats this. It tastes very sweet, but then his stomach begins to rumble. John experiences this experience that we've all experienced, right? You eat something, tastes great. You get it in your stomach, doesn't taste so good. That's what John experiences here. But the food he ate, listen to this, was the word or direction from God. And the voice said to him, you must now prophesy to everybody. So it points us to this. The word of God, the truth of the word of God is always bittersweet. The truth of the word of God is always bittersweet. I like what this commentary says. It says, every revelation of God's purposes is bittersweet. It discloses judgment as well as mercy. We love the mercy part. We're all on board for the mercy. We're all on board for the grace. We're not on board for the judgment. When God's direction, God's purposes is always bittersweet. He discloses judgment as well as mercy. So John comes, he takes this little book. We see that he, that he eats it. 
It's, it's sweet at first, and then it gets bitter. And then he is given a measuring rod. Now, or it says a reed or a, rod, or a measuring rod. So it brings us to Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And I will give, I'm sorry, excuse me, it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. Listen to this carefully. And I will give power, say power, to my two witnesses, say two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. So here we are introduced to the two witnesses of Revelation. If you've studied Revelation at all, if you're familiar with Revelation, you are familiar that at some point in this book there are two witnesses. Who are they exactly? Well, here's the thing. At this point, it's important to remind you that, not, that what we see happen in Revelation is not necessarily happening in a linear timeline, okay? So it's not, we don't know exactly when in tribulation these witnesses will appear. We don't know exactly, but I'll say this. It's likely that it's either at the beginning or in the middle, okay? We don't know for sure, but it says this. It says that they will serve for 42 months, say 42 months, or 1,260 days, or a better way to say it is three and one half years. So either at the beginning or in the middle of tribulation, which is seven years, remember, three and a half years, they are going to preach. They are going to be the witnesses of Christ. What we also can see clearly, and this is not imagery, this is just what's said, is that they will not appear until the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem in the old city of David. Now, I want to stop here for a moment because it's extremely important in the events of the end days. The witnesses will not show up until the temple is rebuilt, right? We see that here in Scripture. They will not show up until it's rebuilt. Right now, the temple is rubble. I've been there. Doreen's been there. Mike's been there. Mikey Hart's been there. Other people have been, that have been to Israel. The temple is rubble. The only wall that's standing is the western wall, or what's known as the Wailing Wall. It's an incredible place to visit. I mean a really incredible place to visit. Right, Doreen? Just incredible. You get to go into the tunnels underneath the western wall, and you get to stand right below the spot where the Holy of Holies is. Just a tremendous experience. But it is not the temple. It is ruins of a temple. So it needs to be rebuilt. What, it is, what it's not is what it must become again. What it used to be must become that way again. So think about that. For it to be rebuilt, would take millions upon millions of dollars, perhaps billions of dollars. 
There would be a massive, uh, we were talking about this, Mike and I were talking about this, there would have to be a massive political upheaval in order for it to be built. Somebody said it would be like World War III or a seven-year peace treaty. We don't know exactly when it's rebuilt, but at some point it has to be rebuilt. And you should know that there is a dedicated group of people right now that are ready for it to be built. There's a dedicated group of people that are ready to rebuild the minute they give the go-ahead. You say, listen, what do you mean they're ready to rebuild? They have everything in place. They have everything in place. They have the money. They have the finances. They have everything in place for it. All they need is the go-ahead. They're simply just waiting for permission. I like what one commentary said. It said this. This This is true. This is real. In Israel right now, there are students being trained for the priesthood, learning how to conduct animal sacrifices in the rebuilt temple. Learning how to conduct animal sacrifices in the rebuilt temple. Now, this is not being done in secret. This is not some, like, underground thing. This is out in the open. This is out in the open. The groups are well known. Listen, when I was in Israel, I went, I was able to visit what was called the Temple Institute. At the Temple Institute, you see all of these plans laid out. It's not a secret. It's not underground. It's laid out for all to see. And so rather than show you a few pictures... This morning, I want to show you just a quick video. So, Cindy, if you would, go ahead and turn off the lights and take two minutes and watch this. Jerusalem. Could you turn it up, please? The city of God. The very word is a symphony for the ear, for all to whom the Bible is precious. And at the heart of Jerusalem lies the secret, the holy temple on Mount Moriah, place of the Shekinah, the divine presence. Special atoned guides 
to explain the history of the Holy Temple, the nature of the divine service, and the significance of the Holy Temple for all mankind. That is the Temple Institute. So, uh, I was there in Israel, and I have to say, it was incredibly cool to see those things that have been made, but I got to tell you, if you ever have a chance to go, the presentation and stuff was incredibly boring. It was. I, there was people in our group falling asleep. There's people, because it, the, the thing is this. This has been happening for a long time. The planning, the, the ready to go, the rebuilding, they're, 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 they have everything in place to do it. But it's not a Christian ideal. Understand this. Yes, we are excited for it because we see that, that it, for them to do that means that we're in the end of days. But what they're doing is not a Christian ideal. They are preparing to reinstitute temple sacrifice. That's not a Christian ideal. I hope I don't have to tell you that their sacrifices will all be in vain. That all sacrifices are in vain because the last sacrifice required was the Lamb of God on the cross. Amen? That was the last sacrifice that was required. His name is Jesus Christ and God will, will use this temple rebuild to bring about His ultimate judgment and return. But they are ready. It is kind of cool to see. It is kind of interesting to see. And when you look at it, you go, huh, I thought I'd be more impressed. When you look at it, you go, that's kind of chintzy. It looks a little cheesy. Did they not scrub it? Did they not clean it? Shouldn't it be shinier? What's going on? And so you look at it and you go, huh, I thought it would look more substantial. So I don't know if it's because they're hiding what's, you know, what's actually going to be there. There's actually a recreation of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, that was actually pretty cool. That reminded me of like Indiana Jones, you know. It was kind of cool. Uh, but no, it was one of those things where you look at it and you go, this is interesting. Theologically, it's very interesting. It's interesting about the, the book of Revelation, the end of days, and the rebuild. And God will use this, but it's not the Christian ideal. Getting back to Revelation. What we see in Revelation is what has to happen or what will be done before the two witnesses come on the scene. So the question comes up, who are the two witnesses? Who are the two witnesses? You may have heard teachings in Revelation throughout the years, and they may have told you who the two witnesses are. Let me tell you who they are. No idea. We have no idea. We really don't know. Now, I will say there are some prominent theories, but they are only theories. And I want you to be careful about this because when people say, I absolutely know, the truth is they don't, they're lying. All we have is certain theories. The theories are this. The most prominent theories center around Elijah, Moses, maybe Enoch. Elijah and Moses would probably be the two most prominent theories. Maybe Enoch. Maybe it's somebody we have, uh, we don't know who, who, who they are. Maybe we have no idea who they are. Because the truth is, we have no idea who they are. Right? What we do see is this. We see that they are empowered by God to be witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem. 
Now, of course, you can imagine that if there are witnesses of Christ in Jerusalem and there's a TV camera nearby, then there are witnesses of Christ throughout the entire world. Because that's what will happen. So, verse 4 says this. These are, referring to the two witnesses, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone, listen to this, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. There's no indication that this is just imagery. There's no indication that this is figurative. There's indication that this is literal, that fire will proceed out of their mouths and devour their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, they will be killed in this manner. These have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls on the days of their prophecy. For three and a half years, they could say no rain. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. For three and a half years, these witnesses will preach Christ to the world, and they will do so with incredible power. No harm will be allowed to come to them during this time, and all those who come against them, dead. Going to be killed. After three and a half years, we see what happens to them. They do this incredible service for God. Three and a half years later, we see what happens. Verse 7, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, they will overcome them, and they will kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Mike, stay there. For three and a half years, they will preach Jesus, and then they will be killed. They will be killed, and they will not be buried. Their bodies will be put up on display for all to see. And when people see their bodies, they will rejoice and they will give each other gifts. Because these two men tormented the earth the entire time they were here. But God isn't done with them just yet. Verse 11. Now after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. You can imagine, verse 12, And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people are killed. And the rest were afraid, but listen, they gave glory to the God of heaven. Verse 14 says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. The scene presented here is incredible. Three and a half years of preaching followed by three and a half days of death. 
Three and a half years of preaching, three and a half days of death. The people rejoicing over their lifeless corpses. Hanging prominently for all to see. The people are gathered in celebration over these dead men. I imagine the people are looking at the bodies one day and their eyes begin to play tricks on them. They're looking and, did, did, did that eyelid just twitch? Hey, hey, hey come, come here. Come. Are you seeing that finger move? Hey, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, they are getting up. The breath of God comes into them. They stand on their feet. As, and listen, <laughs> the impossible soon becomes a reality for everybody who's watching. The impossible becomes a reality as they stand up and they are filled with the breath of God, right? The voice comes, and I like what the voice says. It's real simple. Come up here. I like that. Come on up, man. Hey, you're done. Come on. Right? I like that. They just did their mission. They did what God called them to do. They stepped out of glory to come here, preach Christ. Now, all right, come on up. They levitate. They go up to heaven. The people on the ground are freaking out. How many know you'd be freaking out? Oh, my gosh. you got to be kidding me. Did you just see what happened, Mike? Freaking out. All of a sudden, the earth begins to shake. The earth opens up, 7,000 people fall in and die. But the rest, the rest are still there, Doug. You see, this is the tribulation. This is the tribulation. And they may have been there to rejoice over the death of these two men, but now that they've seen the power of God, they are now giving glory to the Father. God uses the two witnesses for his judgment and his mercy. Why? Because the gospel is bittersweet. Then we see the seventh trumpet. Remember, now we've seen the seals. Now we're on the trumpets, right? So we've gotten through six, and now there's one left, and we see the seventh trumpet, and it's ready to blow. It says this in verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were sounds, there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world, listen to this very carefully, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If you remember at the end of the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about a half an hour, right? One minister observed this. There was a reverent silence in heaven for a half hour at the opening of the seventh seal. But here at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, we hear praise and worship at what is about to happen. They are giddy with anticipation. Verse 16 says this, And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and reigned. The nations were angry and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. 
What we see here isn't thanks for what's been happening, but for what's going to happen. Not thanks for what's been happening, but thanks for what's going to happen. The nations were angry. The Bible says they will be judged. Those who destroy the earth will be destroyed. God's judgment is at hand because his reign in the earth is nearly complete. One commentary said this, the world wants anything but the reign of God. The world wants anything but the reign of God. He said religion is decent. Religion is decent, but surrender to God is intolerable to the nations of the world. I want you to think about that for a moment. Religion is decent. The world can handle religion. The world can't handle religion. They can handle dead works and cheap grace. Right? That's religion. It's dead works. It's cheap grace. That's religion. The world can handle that all day long. Surrender to God is intolerable. Surrender to God. The world can't handle that. They refuse to do so. They will face his wrath because they refuse to do so. Verse 19. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Not the temple now on earth, but in his temple in heaven. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. If they haven't been affected up until now, if they haven't been affected up until now, they will be. So far, we have seen seven seals, seven trumpets, and soon we'll see what are called the seven bowl judgments. The seven bowl judgments. Now, we are exactly halfway through Revelation. We are in verse, uh, we're in, well, no, I'm sorry. We got through 11. Yeah, we're exactly halfway. There's 22 chapters. We're going into chapter 12 next time. So halfway, and it's pretty grim, right? It's pretty grim so far. Got to be honest, I know it is. It's kind of dark, kind of grim, but I promise you, I promise you that there's tremendous light and glory on the way. There is tremendous light and glory. Listen, in case you're not sure what happens, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert, okay? Christ reigns, we win. Amen? Come on. Christ reigns, we win. It may look bad right now, but there are things on the horizon. Amen? Hallelujah. (laughs) Stand with me this morning. If you would. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I'm so thankful that in the end, we win. Lord, I'm so thankful that in the end, you reign and you're victorious. Amen. So we set our eyes upon him this morning. Oh, Let's just sing just together. Just set your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us set our eyes upon him this morning. Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts. 
reveal that which is against you. Call us to repentance and righteousness in our lives. Lord, we don't have all the prayers. We don't have all the answers. We don't have all the answers to to questions, but we see your hand at work. We are thankful for your goodness and your grace. We acknowledge that there is judgment and there is mercy. Lord, even when we can't understand why, let us put our trust in you. Let us put our faith in you. Let us give thanks this morning that we are free from religion. We are free from cheap grace. We are free from dead works. And we are alive in relationship with Christ. Let us be alive this morning. Let us not come to a church and come to a building and and worship with, with no passion and no fervor. But let us raise our hands and lift our voices and give glory to the one who saved us. Lord, we worship you this morning. We set our eyes upon you this morning. Even when life gets us down, let our focus be on you. We are so thankful that we can be alive in Christ. So, Lord, I pray over those who are here this morning, over those who are watching online. Lord, I pray that you would bless and keep us, that you would cause your face to shine down upon us. And, Lord, I pray that you would give us rest, give us an opportunity for thanksgiving. We thank you and praise you for it. We thank you for safety in our lives. We thank you for those around us who are kept and protected. Lord, we pray that COVID would not touch us. Lord, we, thank, we are thankful for our president, for our government. Lord, I, we pray that your hand would be at work. We pray that your hand would be at work. That you would speak to and guide our leaders. As they prepare to battle this pandemic and this virus and all the different things that are happening in our nation. Lord, watch over them as you watch over us. We thank you and praise you for your mercy and your grace in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.